With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A quick PSA before today's show. Chris and I recorded this on Tuesday morning to accommodate our schedules. And uh, everyone we talked about pretty much has signed with the team, including Tommy Fan with the Mets. So uh, all our talk about fourth outfielders, kind of moot, but that's okay. Enjoy the show. folks welcome back to amazing avenue audio the show my name is brian with me as always is chris and chris you and i have not spoken in a couple of weeks and since then the carlos correa situation has resolved not in the way that you and i had hoped it would resolve um carlos correa signed a six-year 200 million dollar contract with the twins with i believe it's four vesting options or some sort of options to extend the deal to 10 years the mets offer reportedly was Six years, one hundred and fifty-seven million, with the remaining one hundred fifty-seven million, which was half of their original contract, available for six additional years that were not guaranteed. Um, we have spoken on other podcasts and spilled a lot of ink over this, but now that we're a little bit re- digital ink, I should say, over this. Now that we are uh, a little bit more removed from the situation, though, how are you feeling about the? Uh, just the situation in general what are you what are you what are your overall sort of vibes around this situation well i think i should stop expressing confidence that the thing with the big player is going to work out (laughs) (laughs) on this podcast uh although we said this the last time uh we spoke on on the show 
the Mets still had a really good offseason. They still yes. brought in a lot of great players, and it's not over. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but I'm, gl- I'm glad that the Correa thing is settled. And if it had to end with him not on the Mets, going back to the Twins is uh, a, probably about as ideal as it gets. Uh, we're yes. we're going to touch on the way the schedule is this year and, and moving forward, too. Uh, but the Twins are a team that the Mets are going to see three, maybe occasionally four, but almost always three times per year. Um, not really somebody who has the opportunity to come back and bite them in any significant way. Uh, so, but indirect competition, of course. Uh, the or Mets unless you would be believe much- that the Mets are uh, that the Twins are going to make the playoffs with the Mets and they will meet in the World Series, right? Which, hey, if that happens, great. Bring it on. Uh, (laughs) That's a deal I would take to get them into the World Series. Of course, the Mets would be a better team with Correa in the fold. And as a fan, it's disappointing to see uh, that they had him sort of within their grasp. Uh, And we've said this a bunch of times, and it will continue to be true, hopefully for a very long time. Uh, Steve Cohen's money is not our money. So if the Mets had decided that they were willing to take the risk, um, even at a reduced level from their initial agreement with Correa, mm-hmm. uh, but one that was higher than what the twins committed to, that would have been fine. Uh, they, they would have been able to pay him if things totally blew up in a few years, uh, they have the means to cover for that. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a bummer that he's not, with the Mets, but it's not like the Braves swooped in and signed him instead or the Phillies or anything like that. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I hope it works out well for him. I mean, he's, he's one of the, maybe not very best, but one of the second tier uh, players in, in all of baseball, which is really not an insult. It's just that Mike Trout, Juan Soto, and uh, Shohei Otani are so damn good, you know? Right, but, right. But yeah, he, he is up there as a significant player in the game. He's 28, and uh, we've been through it as, as Mets fans with, uh, with David Wright. You hate to see a guy who's, you know, looking at an injury situation that might end a Hall of Fame caliber career uh, sooner than, than everyone would hope. So I... There's no, uh, for me as a Mets fan, there's no reason to be mad at the player or at the Mets in in this situation. Um, Like, it seems like there are reasonable concerns. Uh, The Giants are not an organization that's known to make mistakes and constantly uh, screw things up in the front office and everything. And you could be critical of the timing of their. Uh, you know, backing out of their deal with Correa just literally just before they were going to officially introduce him. Uh, sure. But in terms of decision making and all that, they, they're not an organization that has a history um, like the Mets did under the Wilpons. Right. 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 So, yeah, it's I don't know. Maybe I'm a little too chilled out about it, but it, it's just I uh I would prefer that Correa had wound up on the Mets, but it seems like there were legitimate concerns, and 
if he ends up staying healthy and playing well for the twins, that that's, that's great that, you know, um, that's an organization that has had, uh, aside from all of its, uh, playoff losses to the Yankees, hmm. uh, they've had some competitive teams out there and, uh, and having a combination of him and Buxton, uh, like what a tantalizing combo that is not to turn it into a total twins podcast, but <laughs> But I, like both of those guys now are Buxton because he always has gotten injured um, and not come anywhere close to playing a full season. But he's so good when he does. And now Correa is going to have the ankle sort of hanging over him. So uh, yeah, if the two of them play a fully healthy season, that team should win that division. And hey, if that ends up turning into a Twins Mets World Series, then sign me up right now. Right. Yeah. No. That is. Um... That's a really good point about Buxton and Correa. You know, I it seems like every year that one of that they're off to a hot start. If I was a Twins fan, I would just be watching every game like biting my nails, right? Hoping that this isn't the the moment that one of them gets really hurt. Um a couple of things I want to talk about with Correa. Uh Scott Boris spoke to USA Today uh to Bob Nightingale of all people uh a few days ago about this uh, how this deal fell through. And I want to specifically talk about some of the things that he mentioned that he had offered for the Mets in terms of um, a resolution to this. He had said if the injury, the ankle injury that is the cause of all of this, caused him to miss more than 60 days, the Mets could reduce the contract. Doesn't say by how much, but they could reduce it. If he spent more than 120 days on the IL over a two-year period, they could void the contract. If he finished the season on the injured list the Mets would have the right to give them a physical to determine if they want to part ways. I actually think that's a pretty fair arrangement from Boris. What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, that seems to be somewhere in the middle uh, and, I don't know, acknowledges that there is some risk and I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough it's tough to say that, and I'm not, I'm not like angry with the Mets. Um, but that sort of contract, uh, definitely could have worked for them. I, I don't know. I think there's some part of me that's just still relieved because knowing that there was that there, uh, the whole time with him on the team would have just been a nonstop, uh, talking point And, and yes, uh, one that I would have gladly taken exchange for him being on the Mets, of course. Right. But I don't know. It's just like when you just said a minute ago that uh, as a fan watching and, and worrying about injury and all that. And I know a lot of Mets fans felt that way about DeGrom over the last uh, year, year and a half. Two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and like for me, that just wasn't how I felt when I watched him. I was able to say, all right, look, you know, he's out there. I'm excited. Like the best pitcher on the planet is pitching for the Mets right now. And like, that's, I'm just going to embrace that every time it happens, even if it might not happen as often as, as we'd like. Sure. So sure. Well, the yeah. other piece of this is that, and again, take this source with a grain of salt, but Michael K said on his radio show that he had heard the Mets felt he had three or four years at best before they thought the ankle was going to go. And if it goes, he's not going to play again. The surgery would be to correct it so that he would have a normal life. 
Now, if that is the extent of the ankle injury, I mean, that's that's really serious. How often do you sign a player? And look, teams sign players all the time where they know the end of the contract is not going to be pretty. But how many times does a team sign a player where they think that he'll never play, that he'll be physically unable to play, uh, you know, uh, a quarter of the way through it? Or a third, a third of the way through it, rather. Um, right. I mean, that's just that's somewhat unprecedented. And so, like you said, I, I really don't have a I, – I can't get mad at either side here. I think that both sides were looking out for their best interest. I do think that if the Mets – like, I wish the Mets would have just come through and said, listen, we're going to sign you to a four-year, $180 million contract, and there's these places in – you know, these efforts in place to get you to play for six, seven, eight years, whatever it is. Just a big money upfront deal and kept him on the team because I think it was you that wrote the piece on Amazing Avenue about the lineup options with Correa in it. And it was yeah. basically like playing I used to play RBI baseball ninety four on my Sega Genesis and you could play a full you could play as an all star team against regular teams. And it was never fair at all, obviously, uh, because you would just destroy them. And I feel like, uh, yeah. you know, I, if that's what the lineup looked like, it looked like this amazing, really fun, crazy lineup. And that's not going to happen. But I also understand if you legitimately think that in five years this guy is not going to be playing baseball, then a 12-year contract makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Yeah, and it that, that was me who wrote about the sort of dream world that show Walter in the front office we get to live in with Correa and uh, crafting a lineup. Uh, the encouraging thing is that the vast majority of that is still true. Yes. It's just that Correa was somebody who could slot in really nicely and uh, uh, not that this Mets lineup is lacking power, but power is probably the one thing that it doesn't really excel at. Like it, they have a ton of overall great hitters, which is sort of uh uh, I don't know. It's kind of funny that they wound up with an expanded analytics department and they've crafted a lineup that's a little more to maybe like a Keith Hernandez liking. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I think it's very easy to get, Hey, look, they won 101 games um, in 2022. It's very easy to just get caught up in a good team without acknowledging that that's how the, they, they put it together. And, uh, yeah, Correa is not a guy who's going to lead the league in home runs or anything, but he is not uh, someone who would have added on top of the very consistently uh, above league, league average overall production, which is true of almost everybody else who's in the starting lineup as is. Uh, just give it a little more pop. And uh, he had talked about, and I'm curious to see too, you know, how the Twins deploy him defensively. Uh, because in that period when it seemed like he was going to have a deal with the Mets, they had, I forget if it was Correa himself or Boris who had said that uh, Correa was excited to move to third base because he felt like he could bulk up a little bit more uh, and, and, you know, maybe incorporate a little more of that, you know, the rewards that come from doing that as a hitter uh, since he would be alleviated of the, defensive responsibilities at shortstop at least on a on a regular basis you right, know so right. um the other thing i wanted to talk about with the situation which is something i brought up when i did the emergency podcast on this topic with thomas allison and lucas 
Allison brought up a, a good point, which was that you know every team has a window, and the Mets, you know, with their aging starting pitching, their window is closing. And I think that that is true. But one of the points that I made was I think if you believe that the Mets should have been all in on Correa because Cohen's money makes a lot of problems go away, then I think you also have to admit that the Cohen's money sort of makes the idea of a window bullshit. Because yeah. next year there's many good players that are coming on the on the market, specifically Manny Machado and Shohei Otani. If the Mets can go out and get one of those guys next offseason, I don't think anybody's going to be really missing Correa in year two of that deal, right? And so I think that there has to be a there has to be a sort of tempering of the situation uh, of the of the expectations here in terms of what the Mets can do off season to off season. Like yes, it is frustrating if they they lost out on a player that we thought we were getting, et cetera, et cetera. But you also have to look at it and say, unlike the Wilpons, having a big year this year does not do anything to hinder their big year next year. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think I think Cohen is an owner who has uh, demonstrated that you can get rid of the whole window thing. I mean, it, the, the Dodgers, right, when Cohen bought the team, he referenced the Dodgers. We want to be the Dodgers East, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a team that is perpetually in on big free agents, uh, retaining its own stars and and – you know, Clayton Kershaw is a good example of them doing it without. And if players choose to do this, like good for them, it's still a ton of money. Uh, but he signed below market rate contracts to stick around in that organization because it's clearly where he wants to stay, uh, and uh, he chooses to do that. Like that, that's you know they're doing all that while they develop players. And uh, and do so successfully. And Cohen has said, like, hey, until we have the player development system that's churning out those types of players, um, I'm willing to spend the money to to cover for that, you know, right. for that deficit on the on the minor league side. So, yeah, I'm not too worried about uh, a window. Uh, it's funny when you look at the roster. Sure, there's not like a bunch of twenty two three-year-olds on it um but sure verlander scherzer they're they're obviously on the older end of the uh baseball age spectrum but (laughs) but doing things like keeping brendan nimmo around for the rest of his career um when he's really developed into this uh, super useful center fielder um you know that sort of a thing never would have happened before and if you don't have him and then you're just trying to sort of get by in center field i mean how for how long did we watch the mets do that right yeah yeah once carlos beltran was traded angel pagan for a couple of years was maybe the closest thing that they had to uh a, you know a good center fielder who could hit a little bit um emphasis yeah. on a little bit when it comes to pagan too Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. But he like at the time that was exciting. It was. You know, oh, it absolutely. It, it wasn't uh, anything near what Beltron had done in his prime. But uh, yeah. 
so yeah, I'm I'm not too worried about that. You know, they do have uh, even if a player's prime is maybe a little earlier objectively than we traditionally thought it was. Uh, they have a lot of guys who are not at the age where you expect rapid decline. And even Starling Marte, he's 34, and look how well he played uh, in 2022, right? So, yeah, uh, not too concerned about that. Um, as you said, if it was the Wilpons, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would be. But if it were the Wilpons, we wouldn't be talking about uh, at least half of the names that are on this roster today. That's true. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I know you wanted to briefly update uh, listeners on the free agent situation for the fourth outfielder. You had written up a nice piece about... Uh, some options for that fourth outfielder position, and two of those options are off the table. Who signed where? So yeah, yeah, Andrew McCutcheon is back with the Pirates. In what sure it seems like he might be considering retirement, right? It's, uh, that's the impression I got too. Yeah. Um. Obviously, there's playing time there. Uh, maybe he went there thinking, "Hey, I'll play every day," and enjoy kind of going back to my you know my organization uh, that was home for so long and if a contender needs an outfielder in july they'll they'll trade me or maybe he went in with like hey please don't trade me i just want to play here for one last season and then hang him up because he's he's hit well enough that he deserves a spot on a major league roster for sure yeah uh, but you know there's sort of distinct eras of his career when you look back at his production uh, as a hitter. And obviously, uh, defensively, you're not... It's very rare to stay a defensive center fielder for your entire career going into your late 30s. And if Brandon Nimmo needs to move to a corner, his on-base skills should mitigate that (laughs) while we're on the Mets outfield topic, right? Right, right. But... um, but yeah, no, with McCutcheon, I, it, that's, it's kind of, it's very cool. If that is his plan, or even if it's not, uh, that he's returning there, that team's not going to be competitive, but uh, obviously he's beloved there. And, uh, and I have to say, one of the best catches I've seen anybody ever make at City Field was a uh, McCutcheon catch in the right center field gap. He was playing center at the time for the Pirates. Um 
I don't even remember what year that was specifically, but it was in the early years of City Field, and it was a game where the Mets just uh, they lost on like a series of bloop and infield hits that just wouldn't stop over the course of one inning and turn the whole game around. And they got Kansas City know. roiled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that 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 part of it was not enjoyable. You know, we walked out of there that day with the Mets having lost. But uh, but McCutcheon just made one hell of a catch where he covered so much ground and then, um, you know, he he like slid feet first to make sort of that like sliding bucket catch on a ball, uh, and I believe the original City Field dimensions were in place. It was even quirkier than it is now. It was just uh, like a really uh, spectacular thing to get to watch. So that's my McCutcheon story I, I, that I. Felt like I should share, but <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I want to sort of echo what you said there. I think that it is very cool when a player clearly has a love for the organization that drafted them and that brought them up. And so, if McCutcheon is looking to retire and wanted to have one last season at home, kind of the way Ken Griffey Jr. did when he went to Seattle for that last year of his contract of his career, rather, like to me that that's always a classy move. It lets Pittsburgh enjoy another season of their hometown son. It lets him go out on a team that it doesn't really matter if they, there's not a ton of pressure on him to like be the to be the um, the guy for that team, right? He can enjoy his last season in sort of a reduced uh, capacity in terms of what he what's expected from him to bring to the table. So yeah, I think it's a great move for the Pirates and for McCutcheon. Would have loved to see him as as a Met because he seems like a really good dude, but I can't get mad at him wanting to go home either. Right. And I believe we had seen somebody report that the Mets had offered him more money yes. than than the Pirates. Uh but he he made his choice. So hey, got to respect that. Uh and then one of the other guys who was uh, you know, included in that that piece Trey Mancini signed a two-year deal with the Cubs. Um, again, like pretty easy guy to root for. Uh, obviously, with everything he's overcome and uh, beating cancer and getting back on the field, and just seems like he was already sort of a fan favorite player in Baltimore even before that happened. Um, two useful bats that, that look neither of them were going to be Carlos Correa, uh, but could help the Mets who, uh, you know, roster resource right now has a bench of Nito, Ruff, Guillaume, and Lee. Uh, I, I think that ain't happening. Right. Khalil Lee is not making, even if they don't make another move, he's not making the opening day roster in my opinion uh, until he demonstrates that maybe he can get strikeouts way, way, way down uh, in AAA. But yeah, Darren Ruff should be replaced I think based off of what they saw from him, if he bounces back somewhere else after they let him go, so be it. But it was just so bad, you know. I actually uh, think he's going to remain a Met. Yeah, yeah. I just think, and again, this is maybe the Pollyanna in me. I think if you replayed a hundred seasons with the same Darren Ruff, you would never get an outcome as bad as the one we got last year. I right. think he and is it, a better player than that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'd agree. I think that was the first percentile outcome from, from what they could have expected. You know. Yeah. At um, the time of that trade, but we should but also yeah. mention that they signed uh, Tim LoCastro 
to yes. a minor league deal. Uh, again, not going to light the world on fire, but a very, very fast man. And for a team that does not have a lot of bench speed, this seems like possibly a very, very smart move on their behalf, on their part. Um, just have, I, I, the, the image in my head I keep coming back to is a very, very tight game that will determine, if not a playoff spot, then certainly something important. And, you know, uh, my uh, my boy um, Daniel Vogelback drawing a walk and then having to run the bases in right. the eighth inning or whatever. Like, you want to make sure that you are able to, uh, you know, pinch run for somebody in an important situation. And so I think having Locastro on the roster just makes a ton of sense for if not to start the year, maybe like at the halfway point near you bring him up and you let him be the uh be your pinch runner, spell your outfielders one day a week or so. Yeah, I think he's a very useful player. But I, th- I think even if he, even if he is on the opening day roster, there's no way that he and Khalil Lee are both in the opening day roster together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no and and I mean if but that role could be something they hold on to for later in the season too, by design. Uh, it went, you know, whether or not, like, if they don't add anybody, sure, you can put somebody in that spot to start the year. Um, but if they don't, or I mean, sorry, if they do add someone else, there are still some guys out there who, who could help them. Uh, you know, Tommy Pham and Adam Duvall were two guys who I mentioned in that piece. Who, uh, again, you know, not. Super exciting. Although Duvall did hit what thirty-eight home runs yeah. in uh, in twenty twenty-one, I don't think you're going to expect him to do that again. Uh, certainly, he wouldn't be getting the playing time to rack up that many home runs. Although, if you hit that way, maybe maybe you would. Maybe but he uh, force himself into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he had a one hundred three WRC plus that season despite hitting thirty-eight home runs. So it's <laughs> it's very much an all or nothing approach here. Yes. But uh, but he's but also probably still... the best outfielder available too. Right. Well, yeah, he's legitimately played center field. Um, and and I know Marte and Canna can slide over there. And, uh, and you know, Pham and if it had been uh, McCutcheon, uh, you, you could put them there. You know, they're varying levels of uh, defensive abilities in this group. But Duvall probably has the best current uh, defensive skill set. Uh, but if not him, you know... Uh, Fam is uh, somebody who's been pretty solid, and uh, and Robbie Grossman I did not mention in that piece. Uh, I should mention that Duvall and Grossman are both longtime favorites of uh, Lucas Vlahos, and and with good reason. You know, they, they're guys who uh, maybe get overlooked a little bit. Grossman is someone who, uh, like Fam, they both had yeah, kind of subpar years with the bat, uh, but Grossman is somebody who's shown a capability for stealing bases. Fam has done that a little bit too. Uh, you're not talking about uh, LeCastro type speed or uh, Terrence Gore here, right. but but guys who could definitely run the bases for uh, either Vogelback or Ruff or, or whomever uh, might be there in important situations late in games. So um, I just hope that they do sign one of those guys. Um, it's uh, sort of a testament to Luis Guillorme that of the four players on the bench that we mentioned, I, I have the most confidence in his bat, you know, just, yes. yeah. uh, but tough at bats, finding a way to get on base, not hitting for much power, but you know, get uh, 
throwing in like great infield defense plus league average type hitting is uh incredibly is a, valuable yeah pretty yeah. pretty good combination so uh, of everybody who's on the bench he's the one who i'm least concerned about with the bat um yeah so Mancini just bums me out because even though covering center field is probably more important than finding a way to cover first base, they don't really have like an actual first baseman for days that Pete might, you know, DH or uh, just get a full on day off. Weren't they Uh, trying out Canna there last season? uh, He, I forget if he played. Maybe he played a little first. I know he played third in like sort of an emergency situation. And yeah, no, I want to say in spring training they were trying out Canna at first. Yeah, I don't remember I mean, that, why because they had Dom Smith on the roster too. Oh, and right. isn't Ruff a first baseman? I'm technically maybe. <laughs> uh, who can know? <laughs> I mean, that's that's probably who is going to be there if right. they don't make any other moves. Has um, Vogie also played a little bit of first? Well, yeah, I'm sure he has. He just he's built like a like a first baseman, right? Yeah, he's like the first baseman on, you know, the first baseman on on whatever high school all your high schools feared playing. Yes, <laughs> like I I would actually love to see what Vogelback did on his high school baseball team uh, statistically because I'm sure it was just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, and and you know, it's a better situation to be in than than where they were a year ago with the way Dom uh, struggled as a major league hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully he can kind of find it and, and get back to being productive uh, at that level as a member of the Nationals without hurting the Mets too much in the process. Yeah. But yeah, I did, on the Mets roster side, I would love, I'd love two additional signings, one infielder and one outfielder, both of whom can hit reasonably well so then uh, what would your bench be uh going into the season so i didn't i didn't think about the infield field side as much as the outfield side <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah let's just say it would you know um diorme stays nito stays or narvaez you know depending on how how you draw it up uh with no additional moves uh, I think Francisco Alvarez has a compelling case to be there as a as a power threat and somebody who can start to get his feet wet with major league games as as a catcher. Um, but I think, given the construction of everything else right now, um, I actually like Grossman the most of the remaining outfielders. So throw him in there and knock Lee back to Syracuse. And then uh, on on the infield side, let's see. I can find somebody before drawing this out too long. I, I saved a <laughs> I saved a list of these guys, um, and there were a couple who were like legitimately, you know, similar to the outfielders. So uh, let's see. But Jerkson Profar is still out there, but presumably looking for a starting gig uh, and he's right. primarily been an outfielder uh, in, in you know recent years uh david peralta is another guy who's potentially an option as a, a hitter who can play the outfield but on the infield side uh hmm oh 
that's who it was. Okay. Brian Anderson. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Was the guy who could be useful uh, both as a, as a corner infielder, outfielder combo, you know. So if you were to bring in, say, uh, Grossman or Duvall and Anderson, then I think you really rounded out your bench in a, in a nice way um, with some guys who have that, you know, maybe you get that wildly great season out of them. But even if you don't, they're just going to up that level of, of what your team looks like when guys get a day off or when somebody's hurt. Um, and you're also bringing in guys who aren't really naturally blocking your best prospect in Alvarez. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they already made that decision to make the change of catcher, getting rid of McCann, bringing in Narvaez, uh, keeping Nito in the folds. If Alvarez wins the job uh, over either of the two catchers, great. I feel like that opportunity will come up uh, the first time either one of them gets hurt. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, I'll go with that. Brian Anderson is my uh, backup first baseman, backup third baseman, and occasional starting corner outfielder. Um, And I just, I like having that uh, so that I mean, if McNeil needs to play the outfield, great. They have a way to, you know, to account for that. But um, if you can avoid forcing him to go out there, I think that's better. Yeah, I also think by signing somebody who can play the corner infield positions, it puts a little bit less pressure on Brett Beatty, who I think is going to start the year in the minors. But if he is playing, you know, if if Escobar gets hurt or if it just, it, it means that you don't necessarily need Brett Beatty to come out swinging like a, like a huge, you know, success and, and not feel like you have to play someone at third base. And so you're playing this kid who's really struggling. Um, so I, I think it's a good move. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that said, I guess I'm willing to block Beatty a little bit more, but <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I don't know. I, right. I think what you said doesn't really block him. I think as long right. as he is playing a multitude of positions, if you need him to play third base, he can. But if Beatty's hot, you don't need. He doesn't necessarily, you know, he doesn't necessarily block him there. So yeah, right. And hey, if I'm Beatty, I'm thrilled right now. Like the position that I play, and I'm on the cusp of really getting to be a major league player the position i play was about to be blocked in my organization that looks like it's going to be a perennial uh, contender uh, if correa is on this team i don't know where i'm going to end up if i'm him they, like obviously traded but not- <laughs> well, they were also talking about maybe uh giving him a lot of reps in left field which wouldn't be if he started here in the minors right i would still give him some reps in left field it can't hurt right oh yeah yeah uh I don't think yeah, his no, third base is is such in such dire straits that if you don't start him at third base every day, he's gonna he's not gonna get the reps he needs. I, I think he's a he's a natural third baseman, and so it makes sense that you would just give him some reps in left field just to help his flexibility going forward. Right, and I think you know a lot of times when you have like a really athletic player, um, I think it's legitimate to say some guys maybe aren't shortstops or center fielders, and I'm not advocating putting Vogel back in the outfields in spring training. Right. But I think we can get really hung up on, on like, oh, a player can only do this. 
Right. You, you know, sort of just limiting them to a certain position. And uh, obviously we've seen some positional experiments fail in our history as Mets <laughs> fans. Yes. But I, I think there's not much harm in trying it. I think a lot of guys, if given the opportunity, can move around a little bit more than, than we uh, give them credit for and, and make it work. Yeah. Maybe that's because I saw Jeff Bagwell play third base in the minors. And I know moving to first is like the easier thing, but he wound up being a gold glove first baseman. Right. And he pretty much hadn't played the position until the Red Sox traded him to the Astros and then they moved him there. And then it turned into a Hall of Fame career at, at that position with defense being a legitimate part of the, that Hall of Fame case. So, I mean, you can even look to his his teammate, um, Craig Biggio, Biggio yeah. who played, yeah. who was a very good catcher, <laughs> second baseman, and center fielder. Right. Yeah, no, it, and that's, you know, to be able to, those three positions in particular, that's really special. Yes. But, but yeah, I just think uh, we saw Mike Piazza at first. We saw Todd Hundley in left field. We saw Lucas Duda in the outfield. Like, we, we know, I know. Dom like, Smith in the outfield. Yeah, it's not for everybody, but I do think there are a lot of players out there who can who can move around without it really hampering uh, their career. So, yeah, it, it it is nice that Alvarez and Beatty are two guys who are there and available, but also not in a position where it's like, oh, Correa's gone, you have to be the guy now. Exactly. And if you're not, the team's going to sink. Exactly. Uh, you know, the, it should be very low stress uh, for them to to get those opportunities, and I, I hope they do get them. You know, I don't want anybody else to get hurt, but uh, it's always fun to, you know, to see that kind of a guy get a shot. Absolutely, yes. Co-signed completely. Um. All right. Well, I think it's time for our music picks, Chris. Uh, what is what is your uh, selection for the week? So I am going with, uh, after ending the streak of bands that were at Desert Days last fall, uh, <laughs> I'm dipping back into that well, and I'm going with an EP uh, by a band called Levitation Room, not to be confused with the uh, label slash festival entity Levitation, uh, but presumably also inspired by the 13th Floor Elevators. Uh, and yeah, they, they have a couple of full length records that have come out since then that by no means are bad, but when things come up from them, uh, especially on like a Spotify radio station or, uh, you know, suggested music that'll play, uh, after music that you choose to play, basically all of their top songs for me are on uh, an EP called Minds of Our Own. It came out in 2015. And uh, there's nothing really like groundbreaking here. It's just, you know, modern psychedelic rock songs and uh, well played and well written. And uh, I don't know, just, just does it for me. So uh, at least in terms of releases that are like on the radar enough to make it to being on Spotify and all that, right? I, I think it's their first one. Uh, and it's not always the case with every band that the first thing that they put out is the best way to, to start. But I think with them it is. And, uh, you know, just six songs, uh, all of them good and, uh, and a nice quick 
20 minutes to to see if you might like this band. So if for any reason you stick around to the end of every episode and listen to our music recs, but don't listen to any of the actual music after, I'm giving you the shortest introduction to any of these bands that I think I ever have. So <laughs> give them a shot. And everybody else who we recommend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to go with something a little bit different this week. Um, there's a great music website called Aquarium Drunkard, which I have to think is a Wilco reference. Don't you agree? I, I am an so. American aquarium drinker. I mean, I just, it seems like it has right. to be uh, yeah, yeah. a Wilco reference. But what I like about Aquarium Drunkard is that they profile in almost equal measure old and new stuff. Like, they will oftentimes post, but hey, here's an album you probably don't know about that's excellent. And I think sometimes music... And just in general, like the way we talk about art in this country and in the society is so focused on the now that we don't um, focus so much on the older stuff. Like there is so much good stuff that you and I will never hear, not because we are not adventurous listeners or because we're lazy, just because there's just so much stuff in the world, right? And so I appreciate when someone takes the time to uh, highlight something that is older that I might have missed out on, whether it's because... I'm too young to have checked them out or because I just was sleeping on it, whatever. So one of those things they wrote up recently is this record by a band called The Woods Band. And the album is of the same name. It came out in 1971. And it is sort of a Celtic folk album. But it, calling it folk is, is I would say, disingenuous. We're not, it's, it's rather, it's limiting, right? It is much more than just sort of a folk rock record. There is a lot of really complex playing. Um, just like, again, I, I hate using words like jammy because I don't like when people, I don't think anytime people are playing like long songs that it needs to be considered a jam. And these songs aren't even that long. There's just these really nice moments. There's a, there's a track called uh, Lament and Jig where the it sounds like a mandolin and a guitar are like playing this very complicated part, not quite in unison, not quite harmonized. I'm just like weaving in and out of one another. And it's awesome. And the whole record just really is a a really, I just said really twice in one sentence, the the record just it evokes a very specific mood like i think sometimes you can hear a band and instantly know where they're from and this this just sounds as celtic as you're going to get this sounds like it comes from the uk and it sounds like the early 70s late 60s it's just very evocative of where and when it's from and i think sometimes people people balk against making music that sounds like it's time and place because they're worried that that dates it but in, honestly, I think that does the opposite. I think most times stuff that's dated is stuff that is trying to not sound like like where like who you really are and what you really do. I think authenticity ages much better than artifice, even if the authenticity maybe sounds a little bit, um, you know, if there are tones or whatever on an on a record or in a film that are, feel very of its time. Like, I, I'm sure a lot of our audiences watch Glass Onion, the new Ryan Johnson movie. And, you know, the beginning of the movie, a lot of the, most characters are wearing masks for a big part of it. And yes, that dates it to when it was made, but I also think it feels very real because of that reason. So anyway, that's my long-winded way of saying this Woods Band record sounds and feels very much of its time and of its place, and I think it's really cool. 
And I've listened to it a couple of times with my morning coffee this year already, and it's been a lovely way to spend that time. So check it out, The Woods Band. Um, yeah, we had a whole other topic for the show that we're going to leave for another week because Chris and I got talking about the bench. And that's the fun of doing this. You never know what's going to come up. But until then, uh, thank you for listening. We truly appreciate it. Go to AmazingAvenue.com. We are currently in the middle of our top prospect list season, which our minor league crew of Lucas, Ken, Steve, and Thomas do a really, really fine job with. And there is a lot of information in their reports that I just think you don't get many other places online. And uh, please check that out. You never want to be the person who is sleeping on the next prospect brought up. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably the person in everyone's life that they call when they find out the Mets are calling somebody up. Like, I get a million texts when the Mets are calling someone up. Who is this guy? Should I be interested in him? And, like, I know the answer to that because I read Steve's work. So check out our list right now for really, really good in-depth Mets minor league analysis. Uh, We also have other great podcasts and other you know, we cover news, and I'm sure if the Mets sign somebody, we'll have some arguments about that in our comments. Always join in on the comments. And, yeah, just generally patronize Amazing Avenue. We love doing what we do. We hope you love reading it. You can find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. This podcast is found on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us quite a bit. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian Needs an App. And until next time, let's go Mets.